Go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshipping other gods. So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. And the Lord said, name the child Jezreel, because I'm going to punish King Jehu's dynasty to avenge the murders he committed at Jezreel. In fact, I will bring, back, I'll bring an end to Israel's independence. I'll break its military power, I'll break its bow, says some translations, in the Jezreel Valley. And soon Gomer became pregnant again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to Hosea, name your daughter Lo-Ruhamah. Which sounds cool, except when you read the next bit, which says, not loved. For I will no longer show love to the people of Israel or forgive them, but I will show love to the people of Judah. I'll free them from their enemies, not with weapons and armies or horses and chariots, but by my power as the Lord their God. And after Gomer had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she again became pregnant and gave birth to, birth to a second son. And the Lord said, name him Lo-Ami, not my people. Because Israel is not my people and I am not their God. Yet the time will come when Israel's people will be like the sands on the seashore, too many to count. Then at the place where they were told, you're not my people, it will be said, you are my children of the living God. And then the people of Judah and Israel will unite together. They will choose one leader for themselves. They will return from exile together. What a day that will be, the day of Jezreel, when God will again plant his people in his land. In that day you will call your brothers Ami, my people, and you will call your sisters Ruhamah, the ones I love. Hosea was this, I should probably just mention this is Hosea and it can get a little bit colorful. The story of Hosea. Um, Hosea was a prophet of the northern kingdom of Israel. Um, what happened, you had King David, you had King Solomon, and after King Solomon, things went a little bit downhill. The, 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 the kingdom of the people of God split. You had the northern kingdom headquartered in Samaria. Uh, they had 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel were part of the northern kingdom. And then you had uh, the southern kingdom of Judah, uh, basically just Benjamin and Judah, if memory serves me right, although there were some hangers-on from the other tribes who ended up there as well. Um, both of these kingdoms, after Solomon, they just go downhill. They, they start rejecting God, they start falling um, away from him, they start saying, actually, we don't think we're going to follow God the way that he wants us to. Northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, where Hosea comes from, it goes downhill very, very quickly. And you have a series of bad kings and worse kings, and then no kings because they're destroyed. For a time, though, things are going reasonably well. Wealth is increasing. It looks like they're on the up and up. But towards the end of Hosea's time, Assyria, the, the sleeping giant just to the north east of them, I think, Directions are sometimes confusing. Assyria is on the rise, and, and within a generation, Israel would be all but extinct. And our passage opens this morning with, with God coming to the holy man, coming to Hosea and saying, Hosea, go and marry a prostitute. Go marry an adulterer. Now just imagine you're part of a large church, maybe a mega church, 10,000 people, very famous pastor maybe, maybe not that famous, but, but he walks in one 
Sunday morning with a lady named Jew who looks like a na- lady named Jew, and everybody knows Jew and what she does, and the pastor says, Hello, congregation, God's told me to marry this woman. I reckon quite a few people would be looking to each other and going, Uh-huh, and how did you meet Jew? There's no one here called Jewel, are there? Okay, good. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Some of us might think, as we read the story of God saying to Hosea, go and marry this woman who is unfaithful. And we might sit and go, well, how dare God ruin Hosea's life like this? And I think that's because in our culture, we think that there are certain things that God isn't allowed to have kingship over. In particular, we think that that our personal relationships, our intimacy is none of God's business. But if God is king, can I just go down a little bit, Steve? I feel like I'm bounding off the walls. But if God is king over my life, then God is king over all of my life and he can do and ask me whatever he wants. Now Hosea's, uh, we're not told how happy he was at God's command, but, but Hosea's one of those people who says, well, God's in charge, I am God's servant, what God says I will do. You see, the thing is, God's not asking Hosea, this this will sound a little bit weird, God's not asking Hosea to do anything that God wouldn't do. Because Hosea's life, the story of Hosea, is a reflection of God's story. The Bible often speaks in terms of our relationship with God as a marriage. Humanity and God has, has, it speaks of this in terms of marriage. Jesus speaks of himself as the bridegroom. In Revelation, we have that wonderful uh, message of the, the church being the bride of Christ, beautifully prepared for the bridegroom when Jesus returns. And, and I think the reason the Bible speaks of God and us in terms of marriage is because marriage speaks to this mysterious thing where two people become one. And I think God is wanting that sort of closeness between humanity and himself. God, the triune God, who for all eternity has been Father, Son, Holy Spirit, together wants us to join him. He wants us to be with him, to know him. Jesus prayed Towards the end of John, he said, Father, may they be one as we are one. John the Baptist, not John the Baptist, John the Apostle spoke about us being united with Christ. United together with him. Paul spoke about the same stuff. So why does God go to Hosea and say, Hosea, go and marry this wanton woman? Well, I think it's because that's what humanity is like. 
God is this holy, wonderful, perfect being, but we tend to be more like Gomer than we'd like to admit. We are prone to wonder. We are prone to look for satisfaction in every place other than God. Israel ran to idols, materialism. They, they got all religious. How the world has changed. We do the same thing. And, and if you take the time, you can maybe think to yourself, what are the idols that you are tempted to run to? What are the places that you think are better than God? What are the things that whisper life to you? More of a hiss than a whisper sometimes. Hosea humbled himself. He, he said, God is God. I am his servant. And he found this Gomer. We're not told how he found Gomer. We're told that he found her. He married her. Despite the talk that doubtless ensued, and I'm sure there would have been talk, oh, the prophets married that woman. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Let's make sure we don't invite them around for lunch ever. This family is meant to be a reflection of God's relationship with his people. And when they have a child, the name that God says to give this little boy is a name with a sting in its tail, Jezreel. Now, literally, Jezreel means uh, he sows, as in sowing seed, but uh, God sows. But that's not what the people would think when they heard the word Jezreel. Jezreel, for those of you who know your, your kings, uh, Jezreel is the place where King Ahab's wife Jezebel, I think it's Jezebel, murdered Naboth so that her husband could get Naboth's vineyard. A little bit later, God says to a man called Jehu, you know, Ahab's family is just too much. Uh, they have totally abandoned me. They're leading people away from me. I'm going to commission you to, to unseat King Ahab's family from the throne. You will be the king for a little while. And Jehu's like, woohoo! And he goes and he kills whoever he kills. And then he comes to, to the town of Jezreel, which was kind of like a second palace location. And he sends a message to the elders of the palace and says, um, just so you know, I'm the king. What are you going to do about it? And the elders of the palace go, oh, yeah, that's a really good point. We've got 70 princes here, 70 sons of the king. Um, let's gather them all together, chop their heads off, and you know, throw them out to Jehu. And Jehu arrives and goes, yeah, I killed the king. What have you done? And then he kills everyone else related to King Ahab. A massacre, a bloodbath. That's the sort of stuff that they would remember. Jezreel, naming a child Jezreel is like being German and naming your child Auschwitz. Or being Australian and naming your child Panjara. I didn't know about it, but there was this huge massacre in Panjara where, where the governor Sterling killed 20 or 30 people. And I know it's complicated, but it is a blight on history. And this is a blight on Israel's history. 
God says, name your child after a, a place where blood was shed indiscriminately. In fact, in Hebrew, it's, it's a really good name because there's a little bit of a play on words here in Hebrew. Now, my Hebrew pronunciation is non-existent, but I will try. Jezreel is, is something like Yisrael. Does it sound like any other word, you know? Israel is Yisrael. Yisrael, Yisrael. A little bit of a play on words. Name him Jezreel. Oh, the place of... Ma- oh, yeah. Why? Because my people have abandoned me, says God. They've, they've done this horrible, horrible stuff. I'll bring an end to Israel's independence. I will break its military power in the valley of Jezreel. God is just. He can't let injustice slide. It has to be dealt with. And then in verse 6 we read that Goma has another child, a little girl. Isn't it interesting that Jezreel is mentioned that Hosea has a son, but in verse 6 we're told that Goma has a child. No mention made of Hosea in verse 6. I'm not going to be dogmatic about this, but I, I have a sneaking suspicion that Goma was playing the field. Goma was back to her old ways, that this is not Hosea's biological daughter. And the name that God gives this little girl, not loved, I won't show love to, I won't forgive Israel. This is, this is God saying, if you want away from me, I will step back and I won't forgive you. If you keep saying we don't actually want you, God, then, then, then I'll, I'll step away. Just hands up, when you heard not loved, who thought, well, that's a little bit of a horrible name. That's a little bit harsh. It does sound harsh, doesn't it? But you see, we're not just reading this as a story of facts. I think the point of Hosea is not for us to get the facts into our head, but to get God's heart into our minds. Put yourself in God's shoes. The one that you love keeps running away from you, chasing after other lovers. And expecting you to smile and nod and say, that's okay, I don't mind. The one that you love is expecting you to keep on serving them while they keep on throwing your love back into your face. This isn't God being matter of fact. I think this is God going, it breaks my heart. you telling me you don't want to be loved by your actions. I'll step back. I'll, I'll, if you don't want me to love you, I will not love you. There comes a point when the only thing left to say in a relationship like that is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets, stone those who sent to you. I've longed to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I, you won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Not loved. 
It's not, it's not meant to be dry, I will not love you. It's my heart is broken. Verse 8 and verse 9, again, with no mention of Hosea being the father, Gomer has another child. And the name that God gives to this little boy is like the death knell to this relationship. Not my people. Have a look at Leviticus chapter 26 verse 12. God saying to his people, I will walk among you, I will be your God, you will be my people. This is the foundational statement for the people of God. We, this, is, this is God saying we are, we are united. We are connected to each other. We are in this relationship. And here in Hosea, he says to them, we're no longer that. And again, if that sounds harsh, put yourself in Hosea's shoes. Put yourself in God's shoes. The, the sadness of it all. You were meant to be mine, and, and you're not. It's obvious that we're not in a relationship. I'm not pretending. We simply aren't. Well, so what? I want to rush on. And some of you are probably going, yes, yes, but verse 10. I want to rush on to, to verse 10, 11, uh, 12, and, and chapter 2, verse 1. But I want to speak about grace. I want to speak about God's faithful love. But, but I think sometimes we rush past the weight of God's love for us too quickly. God loves us. And our actions can grieve him. In fact, Mark read for us uh, chapter 4 of Ephesians where Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by the way that you act. When we choose to follow our sinful nature, when we choose to not follow the Spirit of Jesus, we are committing the spiritual equivalent of adultery to our shame and to God's dishonor. We chase things that actually end up not saving us, but destroying us. And God is not sitting there going, well, I don't really mind that, that they are broken and fallen, and you know, it's just the way it is, but we'll move on quickly. God's up there, and I think we are meant to hear from Hosea the pain of God. The anguish of God. The emotionalness of God over us. Because God is not impassive. God is love. And when love is thrown back in your face, when you are rejected, when you are abandoned, it hurts. Hosea knew that he was marrying a prostitute and God, God knows what we are like. 
And yet Hosea married Gomer. And yet God said, I'm going to enter into a relationship with humanity. I'm going to put my name, my reputation, my glory on the line for the sake of these people. And I think we can allow ourselves a little bit of artistic license and imagine the angels when God is telling the plan to them, or just a little bit of the plan. I'm going to enter into a relationship with these guys. And they look at God and they go, you mean the ones who rebelled against you? Yes. You mean the ones who keep spurning your love? Yes. Why would you do that, God? They're just going to hurt you again. You know, many of us wonder why if God is so good, he doesn't just deal with all the bad stuff in the world. Why doesn't he sort out the world's evils? And I think Hosea gives us some of the answer there. It's because God's in a relationship with us. The, way, the reason the world is so messed up is because this relationship has issues. And there are consequences for rejecting God. But you know, the, the main character in Hosea and the Old Testament and the whole Bible and the whole of history, the main character is not a wayward wife. The main character is not a son who brings back memories of shame. The main character is not a couple of bastard children. The main character in, in history is God, who is faithful to what he has said. And we come to, to chapter 1, verse 10, and we read, Yet the time will come when Israel's people will be like the sands on the seashore, too many to count. At the place where they were told, you're not my children, it'll be said, you are the children of the living God. Then the people of Judah and Israel will unite together. They will choose one leader for themselves. They'll return from exile together. What a day, the day of Jezreel, when God will again plant his people in the land. You will call your brothers, Ami, my people, and you'll call your sisters, Rohama, the ones I love. This is pure grace. Romans 5 Thanks, Kate. Romans 5 verse 8 says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. See, what changes between the story of the three kids and verse 10 of chapter 1 is absolutely nothing. Because God is still faithful. And Isaiah, looking at this dysfunctional family which God had called him into, looks forward to a time when God would act to set the family straight, the whole of humanity straight. When, when those who are not loved become those who are loved. And I love the way it's lo ami and lo rohuma, however it's pronounced. Because you just take one strike of the pen and you strike out the lo. Loved. 
My children, not even my people, but my children. In the day of Jezreel, the day when God plants His people, the day when God sows, the day of newness, the day of, of the return of Jesus, the day of judgment, yes, but the day of grace. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 9, verse, verse 22 to 26. He says, Even though God is the right to show His anger and His power, He is very patient with those on whom His anger falls, who are destined for destruction. He does this, why? To make the riches of His glory shine even brighter on those to whom He shows mercy, who are prepared in advance for glory. And we are among those whom He selected, both from the Jews and from the Gentiles, concerning the Gentiles, that, that you and I, if you're not Jewish and I don't think anyone here is. God says concerning us in the prophecy of Hosea, those who are not my people, I will now call my people and I will love those whom I did not love before. And then at the place where they were told, you're not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. You see, history and Hosea tells the story of God's love for wayward, rebellious, wandering humanity. But it also tells the greatest story where God says, I will have my bride. I will do what it takes to save these people. They are, by all, everyone who'd looked at them would go, they're not worth saving. They're too far gone. And God says, no. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll die on a cross. I'll die on a cross for them. This is not cheap grace in Hosea 1.10. If Hosea was standing here with us today, he would be the first person to say, this, pray that God never asks you to do what I had to do. If Hosea was standing here today telling his story, I bet he would be in tears. Can you imagine enacting this out? The pain of looking at your children and going, they're not actually mine and yet I love them. The pain of knowing that your wife is running away. It gets worse for Hosea. I'm sorry to tell you, it gets worse for him. He ends up paying for her while she is living elsewhere. He ends up buying her back. It costs him a great deal. Why would he do that? Why did he bother? Why does God bother with us? Why does God bother with me? Because he loves us. And Isaiah would be in tears and saying, guys, don't misunderstand the heart of God. He loves you so much. And when we push him away, it hurts him so much. Don't misunderstand the heart of God. He is never going to stop loving us.
Now there is the point where we can say, God, get lost, and, and God will say, I'm stepping out. If you want me to step out, I'll step out. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in the first nine verses of Hosea. We don't have to live in the first nine verses of Hosea. God is standing there right now saying, I know the ways that you have hurt me. I know the ways that you have abandoned me. I know the ways that you have looked at me and said, actually, you're not quite good enough, God. I know the ways that you keep doing that. Won't you come home? Won't you let me say to you, I love you. Won't you let me say to you, you're my children because I choose for you to be my children. Let's pray. The old hymn says that we are prone to wonder, Lord. Prone to leave the God we love. How you must how you must hurt, Father. Lord, thank you that your love for us is not a cold, analytical love. Thank you that your love for us is a love that burns with a pure fire that cannot be quenched. God, we don't like to think of ourselves as Goma. We'd much rather be Hosea. Oh, <laughs> actually, we'd much rather not be either of them. But Lord, you are the God who loves us. Why would you keep on loving us? Thank you. Lord Jesus, we, we want to be people who love you well. Lord, we want to be people who are no longer defined by, by chasing after other things for life. You alone are what is good for us. You are our hope. You are our future. Jesus, you are our God. And today we come together and we say, Jesus, we, we are yours. Thank you that you will never, ever let go of us. And Lord, for those here who have been running after other things, and we all do, God, today we put them down and we look at you and we say, we do not want to grieve you. Because you alone are the source of life and hope. Because all that running after other, other things gives us is scars and death. Jesus be our God. May we be the people that you have called us to be more. May we be your children. As you have made us to be and chosen us in Christ. Amen.